uh, introduction to American football came through a leadership training event I did back in Australia. In Australia, they, uh, they play the kind of football that's going to be played in heaven, which is Australian rules. But that's another story. That's a very dangerous thing for an Aussie to say two weeks out from Super Bowl, I know. But I remember that, you know, as we're coming up to Super Bowl time, it's quite appropriate for this leader held up this ball and he said back in 1961, in the summer of 61, the fellow by the name of Vince Lombardi held up a pigskin in his hand to a team that had been defeated just that uh, football season before. 38 men who had somehow managed to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory just a few months before in the Super Bowl. And he decided it was time to get them back to basics. And you all know the phrase. He held it up and he goes, gentlemen, this is a football. That's exactly right. So the goal of the football was to take it from your end zone across the field to the opposing team's end zone and cause a touchdown. Anything apart from that primary goal was a lot of activity, but it was not football. And so Vince Lombardi took that football, held it up to these professional athletes and said, gentlemen, it's time we get back to basics. It's no more basic than this. This is a football. You know, we're still in January and it's still important for us to get back to basics. I want to read to you this morning some scripture and it's going to be found a very short verse. It's one that I really don't even need to read, but I will just for the sake of you knowing that it's in the word of God. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1. And this is Paul's equivalent to saying, this is a football He says, after this beautiful opus on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that is read at most weddings, he says this, let love be your highest goal. Why don't we say that together? Because we don't have to try too hard to memorize that. Go, let love be your highest goal. In other words, what Paul's saying is this is a heart. This is the goal right here. This is a heart. The goal of the kingdom of God, the goal of the game of life is this, is to take wandering hearts that are wandering all over the place and bring them into a place of deep encounter with the always perfect love of the Father. To bring them into encounters with Jesus. Anything that we do that is opposed to that or activity that does not direct everything to that is a lot of activity but it is not kingdom of God activity because this is a heart and the goal of the game of life is to bring hearts into an encounter with the always perfect love of the Father into encounters with Jesus. This we call a totally new kind of normal. I want to share a little story this morning of one of my favorite historical figures. At the age of 29, he decided he would, in his own terms, take his heart 
and bring it into an encounter with God. So on October 10th of 1821, he went to his home in Adams, um, New York, and he went to the forest and up into a hill. And he said, I will give my heart to God or I will never come down from this place. What was he saying? He says, this heart has one purpose and one purpose alone. Its purpose is to come into an encounter with the always perfect love of the Father. And I will bring my heart to that place and I will give it to him. I will bring it to that encounter. And if I do not do that, I will never come down from there. He came down from there. He had the encounter with God that he had hoped for. And he came back to his home after walking down the hill. And the quote goes something like this, in, in my very humble opinion, it's some of the most beautiful words penned in all of Christendom outside of the Bible. He said this, he said, I felt the impression. It was like electricity. It went through me and through me. And here it is. It came over me in waves of liquid He left his home and went back to his office where he was a lawyer. And he said to a gentleman, he says, I have been called to plead the case of Christ. I am sorry, sir, I can no longer plead yours. Thus began the ministry of the leading revivalist of the 19th century, Charles Finney. Charles Finney is a person who, when I was a young communicator, leader, preacher, pastor, captured my imagination because he was the one guy that somehow managed to strip all the noise of what church was, strip all the noise of what ministry was, down to this one goal, that this is a heart. And the goal of the game of life is to bring hearts into an encounter with our Father's always perfect love, to bring hearts into an encounter with Jesus. If there's lots of activity that goes on around a church, there's lots of activity that goes along around in ministry and leadership, but if that activity does not lead us to that, it is not kingdom of God activity. Because love is the highest goal. I believe if uh, Finney was standing in front of us today that there's several questions that he would ask of us and so I want to pose these few questions to us. The first question I believe he would ask of us and this is worth writing down. The first question he would ask of us I believe is this. Do you want information or transformation. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, do you want information or transformation? Do you want information or transformation? I, I, I go back to my own story on this. Um, I came to accept Jesus in my 17th year. And up until that time, I knew a few random things about Jesus. I didn't know everything there was to know, obviously, but I knew a few random things about Jesus. I attended a church once a month in our hometown. Um, I'd been through several different worship services in my uh, 16 and a bit years leading up to this time. And, and I'd sort of hung around Jesus' people a little bit. 
But in my 17th year, I ended up at a Christian youth camp, which I believe is sort of where Pastor Lowell is over this weekend. I was at a Christian youth camp, and I'll never forget it. It was just like this, you know, standard run-of-the-mill kind of thing. And this communicator on behalf of God stood there. And he said, Jesus died for you. He died to set you free. He is calling your heart today. He wants you. He said it again. He wants you. And something shook within my legs. And before I knew it, I was standing to my feet. And I'm going, what am I doing here? But my heart's screaming out, I have been found. My heart. A wandering heart now had come to an encounter with my father's always perfect love, an encounter with Jesus. Do you want just information or do you want transformation? Here's what I've learned as a leader across the world now over many, many years is information-driven cultures produce consumerism. Because it's, well, this church over here, they, pre- they present the information much better than that church over there. So I'm going over to this church over here because their information presentation is just beautiful. But then you know what? Their information sort of, I get real familiar with it. And, oh, you know, I feel God's leading me on. Oh, have I heard that a million times. I feel God's leading me on, Pastor. Why? Because the information over there is presented a little bit better. You see, we start consuming and consuming and consuming. The last 30 years, the most phenomenal, abhorrent sound is starting to come out of the body of Christ in the West. And it is a phrase known as this, church shopping. Church hopping. It is a consumer mentality that is driven by information experiences of God. I've come to experience the information from God. And it produces this consumer mindset. And it is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. Transformation, on the other hand, is really different. Transformation is a heart that meets its father. And it says, all I want to do is participate. That's all I want to do. I want to participate in the game. I want to be a person that does whatever it takes to bring hearts into this encounter with our Father's always perfect love, into an encounter with Jesus. What's my part in that? I want to serve with you, and I want to serve with you, and I want to serve with you. Because the information, while it's important, it's not the main thing. The main thing is the encounter with our Father's perfect love, an encounter with Jesus. This really bugged Finney years before Wyabur entered the earth. And he was at a place called Evans Hill, Evans Mill rather, and he'd been preaching there for some time. And what really was starting to make him feel sick in the stomach was he'd hear all these people saying, well, that was a really pleasing sermon today, Pastor Finney. Or that was a very pleasing message you gave. He's thinking, pleased? Pleased? I'm here to please people. 
That's not my job's not to give pleasing messages. And it really got under his skin. And so it, it came about this one day where he preached and he says, today, will you make a decision here and now to make your stand for Christ? And I invite you to stand now. What was he doing? He goes, I'm getting away from information. This is going to be transformation. This is now a time for hearts to encounter the Father. Do you know there was just like crickets? Somewhere in the distance, a dog barked. And he dared to say, therefore, you have made your choice. By not standing, you have taken your stand to reject Christ and his gospel. And he up and left. And he walked out. Well, people were irate. They were upset. They were grumpy because he didn't deliver the information in a pleasing way. So the next day, he dared to come back and preach again. And at the end of that day, he said the same thing. This time, people popped up and popped up, and there was weeping and wailing as they came under the conviction of Holy Spirit, and they fell to the ground, and now they were people of transformation. There's a story, well-known story, in the New Testament. But before I get to that story, I want to read out of the gospel of gospel, the gospel writer of John, but in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. That's our time. It's a, it's a lengthy passage, but I just want us to get, just capture the heart of the Father. I want you to capture the heart of what is the main thing, that this is a football, this is a heart, this is the main thing. And John says this in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and following. He goes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Oh, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us the spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. Oh, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love love. God is love. All who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world, since love has no fear. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If anyone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Yes, this is a heart. 
And the primary goal is getting these hearts into encounters with our Father's always perfect love, into encounters with Jesus. Any activity that does not lead us to this goal is activity for activity's sake. It's a lot of things, but this thing it is not. It is not building the kingdom of God because love is the highest goal. There is no other goal. I don't care how big a long of degrees you've got stating your theology, theological credentials. I don't care how long you've lived on this earth. I don't care how smart you are, how brilliant you are in your leadership. There is no other goal higher than love in the kingdom of God. It's the primary thing. It's the main thing. It is the only thing, a transformed heart. Do you want information or do you want transformation? Uh, Finney would also ask us, I believe, is does your behavior match your belief? I'd write that down as well because this is a tough mirror to hold up. Does your behavior match your belief? This is what Finney observed. He observed that Christians were living their lives with radical inconsistency, claiming to believe one thing while happily living another. I don't know anyone like that. Oh gosh, I've never been like that. Not true. Obedience, he said, can be partial. Sorry, obedience cannot be partial in the sense that the subject ever does or can partly obey and partly disobey at the same time. Sin, he said, is the supreme preference of self-gratification and holy is the, holiness is the supreme preference of the good of God. The two supreme preferences cannot coexist in the same mind. It's plainly impossible to make opposite choices at the same time to choose opposite and conflicting ultimate ends. Yeah, Isaiah Chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now, says the Lord, let's settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. I don't know if you've ever seen blood in snow before, but it's no longer white. And this is, this is Finney's point. Does your behavior match your belief? And Paul put it this way. Shall we go on sinning so that grace can abound? By no means, he says. Perish the thought. Away with such nonsense. This is totally contradictory thinking. We can't do it. We can't hold these two things in tension and say, I love Jesus. Then work that way. Don't get the luxury of that choice. So well, what we find is we have this mental ascent that takes place, this, this cognitive recognition and understanding of God at times, and other areas of our life are all going crazy. There's the areas of our marriage partner. There's the areas perhaps in our parenting. Perhaps it's the areas of our moral purity. Perhaps it's the areas of, of how we pay things, our finances. Perhaps it's the areas of our positional authority at work. We might have some of these areas that have submitted to God. But Finney's saying that you've got to see that if those other areas are not submitted to God, you've got a major problem. I see it as a flag indicator of an area of a heart that needs to come into submission with Jesus. 
And maybe this morning that's you. Maybe you say, well, Pastor, I've got, I got things going really well that I'm submitted to, that I'm doing great in. But when I get home and close that door, my husband and I, my wife and I, my kids and I, there's no encounter going on there. Or I might have a great home life and a great church life, but when I'm by myself near that computer, nothing much going on there. Or I've got all these things in place, but when I get to work and that squirrely employee gets under my skin, they're flag indicators of a place where your heart needs to encounter the always perfect love of the Father. See, there's layers to this thing. The first thing is the initial one, like me, when I came to Jesus. We call this a salvation thing, and that's the salvation encounter with Jesus. But then we have the other part that we call the sanctification thing, the holiness thing, and that's now where it's a day-after-day proposition of growing, of daily submission, facilitating daily encounters between you and the Father's always perfect love. And Finney's saying, if you think that you can go on in life with all these things in tension and praise God and just let your life go squirrely, you've got another thing coming. Because the Christian life doesn't work like that. You'll never know the freedom that Jesus promised. You'll never know the victory that he paid for because you're in a life of perpetual conflict. This is always the goal, is bringing wandering hearts back to encounters with our Father's always perfect love, back to encounters with Jesus. A good mirror to hold up to ourselves is does your behavior match your belief? I think the last thing he would would share with us today, if he was standing here in front of us, would be this. Does God in you change your environment? Does God in you change your environment? In other words, does the transforming work of God in your heart transform the hearts around you, facilitate opportunities for those hearts to encounter God as well? In fact, you can read some of the stats. In Rochester, New York, get this. This is called the Burned Over District. This was the place where, I think it was, uh, I hope I got this right now, it's just popped out of my brain. Jonathan Edwards, that sounds about right anyway. It's one of those really cool cats way back. I'm pretty sure it was him. Jonathan Edwards had preached, and they called it the Burned Over District because in the years before, many people had come to Christ, but now they'd sort of lost their first love, and people's hearts were hard. You know, it's one thing to go into a new place where people haven't heard about Jesus and see revival. It's another thing entirely to go into a place where people had heard about Jesus, and now their hearts were hard to bring revival. And so they called it the Burned Over District where Finney was preaching. And get this, he preached 98 sermons from September 10 of 1830, through to March 6 of 1831. So about six months, he preached 98 sermons. It said shopkeepers closed their businesses, posting notices urging people to attend Finney's meetings. The population of the town during that time increased by two-thirds, and yet crime dropped by two-thirds over the same period. And it's estimated that in that short period of time, in excess of 100,000 people gave their life to Christ. Does God in you transform the world around you? We're about to start writing 
again. And a book that the Lord has called me to write is called 90 Square Feet Can Change a World. It's a story of how just in 90 square feet of office space, 7,000 Australian dollars and one contact was given to God saying, this is all I've got in my hands. And in less than three years, we've had impact now in over 20 countries. Not because I'm the smartest people in the room. Gosh, it's usually the opposite. But because we just desire so much to bring transformation into any space we come. The story that typifies this so beautifully is found, I think, in Mark chapter 2. It's a story of four blokes who love their friends so much that they do whatever it takes it would take to bring him into an encounter with Jesus. You know the story. I've sort of sat and pictured this story many times over, and I can just imagine Jesus. The Bible says the, the house was crowded because they were hearing him teach. And uh, as, as he was teaching in those old places, oftentimes they had Hessian hanging down over the windows. And you can imagine the dust sort of coming in, sparkling through the light as they're trying to see Jesus teach in this sort of somewhat dimly lit room. And as Jesus is teaching, we know that the man was lowered right at his feet. So the hole had to be right above his head. And as Jesus is teaching, Mike, you could just imagine it, couldn't you? You'd hear thud, thud, thud on the roof above. Just imagine that, thud, thud. Thought as Jesus is trying to teach, be going, what on earth is going on up there? What is that? And Jesus is still trying to teach. But then sooner or later, they would have broken through, and the big shaft of light would have come through, and all the dust, because those buildings are made out of clay and mud and straw, all the dust and particles would have fallen down, and some's in Jesus' hair, and some's getting in his beard as he's still trying to teach. And they're making this hole right above him, and everybody's going, what on earth is going on? Well, you don't lower a man through a hole that big, do you? No, you make a pretty serious size hole. So they're not happy and satisfied to make a little hole. No, they make a really big hole. And it's at this point, it says the place was crowded. And you could imagine the little kids and everybody going, oh, God's going to be up to something. And they fill in all the spaces and people crowd in even more like this. And this big hole opens up and there's dirt and dust everywhere. I, I can know about you, but I can imagine a big smile on Jesus' face as he thinks the Father is up to something. And then they lower their friend to the feet of Jesus. I don't think it was this beautiful, serene setting of a bed just sort of coming down at Jesus' feet. I, I don't know if they were that, that smart. They're digging holes through rooms. I think the way that rope was tied, it's probably doing that kind of a thing as it's coming around and he's sort of hanging on for dear life and possibly even bumping into Jesus and people in the front row as their friend sort of poof, lands on the ground in front of Jesus. And then the most amazing thing, four heads fit through this hole. As they're looking in going, all right, we got him there. You know the story. The religious blokes, they're up the back. It's all about religion. It's all about information for them. They didn't even, they were just muttering, nothing really intelligible. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. He says, I tell you what, what's easier to say? No, he says, sorry, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And then they, they make the obvious statement, well, that's blasphemy. No one can forgive sins except God alone. Because what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Get up. Take up your mat. And get out of here. There had to be a physical miracle take place in front of them all because a paralyzed man for life is going to have atrophied muscles. So the first thing you're going to see is muscles that just start popping out. Everybody like this guy. 
The way I'll be saying this one night, what about you? Can, you? can you see that? I can see that. Yeah, I can see that too. This is unreal. And the guy sitting and the four friends going, hey, look what's going on down there. His legs start popping out with muscles. And then, then sort of shaky knees to start with because he hasn't stood for however long. And he, he gets up and his knees are perhaps shaky as he gets up. And then he realizes, i got, I got strength in these legs. And he gets down and he rolls up his mat. And I don't think he sort of saunters out like this. Oh, no. No, I think he's got that mat under his arm and his chest is out. And he walks out of there. And somehow, like parting the Red Sea, this crowded room opens up as this man with a smile on his face is just alive with the spirit and the power of God because four friends did whatever it took to bring their friend into an encounter with Jesus. I don't know if any of them fell through the hole, but I sure would have at that point because my friend is truly alive. What happened that day was the greatest miracle was not that a man got up and walked. No, the greatest miracle was that a heart had an encounter with the living God. That is the miracle of this moment. And right now, if you have never known that encounter, if right now your heart has never come to God, I say stand in Jesus' name. Stand in Jesus' name. If you've never known God, if you've never had that encounter, He is calling you. He is drawing you. He is wooing you. He is bringing you to this place. Oh, He has dug a hole. He has dug a hole through some roofs this day into the hearts of people. Perhaps this morning, perhaps this morning, you've been at a place before where you stood and you said, I declare. But there's areas of your heart have sort of just gone like that. And you know that this morning God has been calling you to that place of encounter again. It's the main thing. It's the main thing. Forget all the activity. Forget the preaching. Forget the music. Forget the ushers. It's the main thing. Nothing matters like this of coming and saying, Jesus, once more, I bring my heart into submission to you over my marriage, over my kids, over my purity. Oh, Lord, over my finances and the way I pay and where my money goes. Lord, over my positional authority and work, I bring it before you because my behavior is not matching my belief and I can't go another day like that because I've encountered your love before and I know no information is going to change that only an encounter again with your always perfect love. This is a hinge moment of history. This is a moment of freedom where you too can bring your heart to God. So our brothers and sisters who just stood, if that's you this morning, I invite you to stand and to lay your flag in the sand and say, Jesus, I give these areas of my life to you this morning. This is a hinge moment of history upon which many years shall swing. Will you submit all areas of your life? I invite you to stand, if that's you this morning, and say, Jesus, I don't want to wait another moment. I want the main thing to be the main thing in my life. I want an encounter with you, a heart that trusts you in every area of my life. 
want a heart that's surrendered because there's nothing else that matters. This is a heart. The highest goal is to bring hearts into an encounter with our Father's always perfect love and to encounters with Jesus. I'm going to hand over to Mike in a moment, but I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. And if you gave your life to Jesus this morning, if you said, Jesus, here is my heart, I invite you to come because these folks want to pray for you. They want to set you up for success in the kingdom of God. Maybe there's an area of breakthrough that you've stood over this morning. Likewise, I invite you to come. It's a safe place. That's what I love about this church. This is a judgment-free zone. This is a place in a house of freedom and life. I'll make the most of this moment. There's tender and soft hearts in this room right now. God has been moving. And this is your moment for your heart because everything else is all done just for this, to bring your heart into an encounter with the always perfect love of the Father and encounter with Jesus.